You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Greg Means. Uh, Greg's latest book is a collaboration with friend uh, M.K. Reed and Joe Flood from First Second, the Cute Girl Network. As well, Greg published the much-loved and fantastic uh, Paper Cutter Anthology, which ran for 18 issues uh, under his uh, Tugboat Press, as well as a variety of free comic book day books like Rudder Runner, Bird Hurdler, Nerd Burglar, 
and the Dragon Kids one uh, with the awesome Alec Longstreth cover, and co-published uh, some stuff like Rena Yu Yang. I'm sorry, Rena. I probably mispronounced your name. Yeah, uh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Whirlwind Sunday was that it? Whirlwind Wonderland. Wonderland. I'm sorry, Rena. I am doing. <laughs> terrible by her as well as uh neptune uh the wonder dog was it neptune the wonder dog or just neptune it's just neptune but i like the subtitle i wish you use that let, let, let's go with it i'm gonna call it that uh okay. by aaron steinke and uh the last thing is and i'm gonna reveal my mia culpa that i revealed to greg earlier i didn't realize that greg did clutch uh aka his pseudonym would have been clutch mcbastard uh, which is a great name. Yeah. I, I hope you're proud of that name. I am. Some people just, some people don't get it though. And they're like, it's like, they're like, you're, no, you're perfectly nice. And I'm like, I, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> and that ran for what? 20 zines? 25 issues. 25 issues. Probably uh, somewhere around 1500 pages. Wow. That's a lot of zine. Yeah. And because I didn't realize that, and I don't have any clutch scenes, I'm going to be trying my darnest to ask a bunch of really stupid questions where Greg may go, Robin, you're sounding stupid, or we'll just go with the flow. Feel free to tell me if I'm sounding stupid. Um, I probably won't do that, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for permission. All right. Um, so I guess starting out with clutch... Um, you said ran for 25 issues and so was that kind of your background is zine culture yeah you know i um you know i was a big punk rocker in my youth uh it's hard to see that now because i'm such a, a square but um yeah in my late teens early 20s i was i was all about the diy punk aesthetic and um and then you know but I couldn't play music or anything like that, so I, so I got into zines, and uh, I did a number of them for a long time, and I kind of fallen out a bit. But when I moved here to Portland in '99, I started, uh, I started volunteering at the Independent Publishing Resource Center here in Portland, and was the zine library for eight year zine librarian for eight years, and uh, just you know, got inspired to make my own again. And, uh, yeah, and it turned out to be Clutch. I think originally it was, the idea was uh, that I just wanted something to do every day because I was definitely in that, like, quarter-life crisis where I was, I was like, I'm not doing anything, <laughs> you know? Every day is just drifting away, wasted on, on nothingness, on day jobs and, you know, cleaning the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So... You know, so I started Clutch as the idea that I would do something every day. Uh, and, yeah, I did it every day for, you know, nearly 10 years. And then I revisit it every once in a while now. <laughs> um, what kind of scenes were you doing before that? Oh, man. That Come on, let t tell me the dirty the dirty secret stuff we're not going to find anywhere. Uh, you're not, yeah, you're not going to find it. But I did a, gosh, I did like a... A precursor. I wasn't in, you know, because I grew up being really into comics, and I think like a lot of people, I took a a break in my, you know, 
college, post-college years. And uh, so I was more into, like, just, you know, writings, you know, prose stuff. Did a, a very weird thing where I would, you know, I'd write, like, 32 pages of dense text all about, like, one day in my life. It's kind of the opposite of clutch. And uh, it was horrible. I can't even look at that anymore. It's really typo-filled. <laughs> uh, done on a typewriter? Yeah, and I just can't imagine any anyone. Yeah, no, it was done on a typewriter, um, which is totally, you know, 90s zine style. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I can't imagine anyone making it all the way through. I, knew, I know some of my friends did. And then at some point I did a um, kind of a precursor to paper cutter. It was like an, uh, a prose anthology. And I, you know, and I, I only did like five issues of that, but in zines, that's a bunch. Mm-hmm. And it was also pretty boring. So, and no one read it. So, <laughs> What did you go to school for? Um, I'm a librarian by oh, okay. profession. So yeah, I went to library school in Florida. And you're from Florida originally? Uh, yeah, I grew up there. But I've lived here in Portland for 14 years this week. So. Oh, wow. Yep. Welcome. <laughs> Love it. Um, what brought you to Portland? Did you know a bit about the culture there? or I'd kind of bounced around a bunch, you know. I was kind of looking for a place to to settle down, you know. And I'd, I'd lived in the Washington, D.C. area, then the Bay Area for a little bit, and... I remember actually like going to the library, the public library, and looking through like, you know, guidebooks to America, and like, uh, and like, thinking what cities I could live in. And then at one point, I just saw, you know, Portland, and I just, you know, I remember everything I'd heard about it, um, and I was just like, oh, maybe that would be good. And I came visited, and I was like, yeah, I could totally live here, and it was the best decision of my life. <laughs> so, um, now. Making a presumption that you were pretty well read if you're going to go to school to become a librarian, books being pretty important in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are some writers that you kind of got a lot from um, and kind of informed you as a writer? Wow. Um, you know, I've, uh, I'm not a super serious reader. I like a lot of, like, when I, um, you know... Like when awards come out, I rarely have read all these award-winning books. I read, I read kind of, I don't know, pedestrian books. I feel like my fellow librarians might hear this and be like, "Oh no, you have to win! You have to read everything that's won the Booker Prize or something." But no, I read like you know, Elmore Leonard uh, mm-hmm. was, was someone I love a lot, and Michael Connelly, who was later something I loved a lot. But also, um, I've always had kind of a affinity for kind of slice of life stuff and tyler is probably my favorite author um she's most famous for like the accidental tourist and saint maybe that won the pulitzer prize so i guess i did what read one 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 prize winner um but yeah you know uh i was growing up i was a, a comics reader and actually i didn't like reading that much like prose stuff because it was homework, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to do homework when I was done with homework. So it wasn't until, you know, college or right after college where I was no one was telling me to read that I actually started reading more. So, like fiction. 
Mm-hmm. But comics were always my my you know my way of reading without it being you know the man what kind of stuff were you reading for comics well um when i first started like i always when people ask me what the first thing i read i always remember collecting those uh, rectangular garfield books as as a little kid mm-hmm. i love those man i but remember it, loving them I'm i sure loved they up at all <laughs> i love uh, uh when i was a kid the different stages of garfield yeah. Like the fat, lumpy Garfield, and as he slowly got a little more cartoony and shapely. and Me too. I loved, I loved, you know, because I think I was like, I came in and book like five or something. I was like, oh, I have to get those earlier books because they were numbered. Yeah. And yeah, then you get back to one and you're like, wow, he looks totally different. And it made you, it made me feel good about not being able to draw because I was like, Jim Davis couldn't draw either at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a little kid, I remember thinking that. And uh, but someone recently told me that yeah, by like year three, he just stopped drawing it all together and was outsourcing everything. So I I can believe that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He's too busy counting his his stacks of mad cash. You ever read uh, Pete Bag's uh, Sweatshop? No, I have not read that one. No. Okay, I think it's loosely based on on him. Oh, now I'm I'm putting it on my list now. Yeah, well, there's a great panel where uh, they're at a comic convention or something, and someone sees a Charles Byrne drawing and just pukes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is disgusting. And then they do a uh, uh, they're trying to do new comics to get people excited, so they do like a Jimmy Corgan version of a comic, and then someone does like a Frank Miller version, and it's like the exact same story, but one's like super depressing, the other one's super hyper violent. And... I'm I'm gonna blank on my own my own anthology, but there's a great Joey Sayers um, comic in one of my one of issues of Paper Cutter where where she uh, she takes a job writing I think it's called like Hey That Cat or something like that and it's uh and it's about like her getting fired from drawing like a Garfield comic and then like just goes through all these iterations of other people taking it on and like then it flashes forward like 2,000 years and someone like robots are, are, are <laughs> so it's really good it was reprinted in Best American Comics a few years ago so yeah no it's uh, yeah I feel like the people like some of the people who are uh, successful in comics are more successful for because they have some sort of business sense that the rest of us don't um, and you know and something that caught on, I guess, as well. But yeah. I feel like I've known lots of people who could have been successful and had all the talent and all the, you know, recognition, but just, you know, couldn't balance their own checkbook and stuff. So, or, you know, answer. An- yeah, yeah. Answer their email promptly. So, <laughs> I think I'm in that category right now. Um... So after Garfield, it's, you know, I grew up, I'm dating myself here, but when I used to come home from school, the old Adam West Batman show used to be on in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. I effing loved that show. It was so, like, it was my it was my jam. People, when I got older, I was surprised that people were kind of, like, ashamed of it. Like, oh, that's not what Batman's like. Batman's serious. I was like, but I love that show. <laughs> but having watched that show um, and loved it, I was right at the exact right age to pick up... Um, 
the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely was that time, like, when you're, like, 11 or 12, where you're just so excited to be a teenager. You're like, oh, I'm growing up. I'm going to be a teenager and do all this cool stuff that teenagers do. And of course, like, you know, I recently reread some of that stuff, and those guys aren't teenagers. They're all, like, in their 20s. No one lives <laughs> at home or anything like that. But anyway, and I, and you know, so that was kind of my gateway into superhero comics, uh, the new Teen Titans. And uh, so I read that for years. And at the time, I was like, this is awesome. And none of my friends did. All my friends read uh, X-Men and uh, things like that. So I was like, oh, I have the secret. No one knows how good this is. But when I got older, I realized it was, you know, the best-selling comic of its time. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was uh, competing pretty heavily with the X-Men. Yeah. As you remember. So, yeah, so, you know, and then I read, you know, Animal Man, Grant Morrison's run. And I was a big DC guy because every once in a while I'd try to read. Like, I remember when the first X Factor started, I was like, I'm getting in on the ground floor. And I still, like, in the first issue, I was like, I'm going to get on the ground floor. I'm finally going to understand the Marvel Universe and the X-Men stuff that all my friends like. But it's like, you know, in the first page, there's a reference to Fantastic Four, 432 or something like that. And then there's... Couple of pages later, there's you know this is all about Jean Grey coming back for the first time, mm. and I didn't understand any. <laughs> I I am a DC kid too, and I found all that stuff pretty impenetrable. Yeah, yeah. So, I uh, I think that was my last last time. Though I do remember reading, uh, I think just because of the covers, I do remember reading. Um, well, I'm blanking on the name right now, but that Spider-Man run where Craven kills oh, the him, Mike Sex stuff. Life. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being like, "This is badass." <laughs> yep. So, so I read I read superhero comics all through high school, and uh, yeah, I think I gave it up right around the time I went to college. Though I did, I did have a lot of college friends who read, uh, you know, who read yeah, pamphlet comics. I just was into other stuff, I guess, at the time, punk rock mostly. Um, and you also started a record label at one point, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was much later than that, but yeah, that was here in Portland. Uh, me and my friend Fred, who actually lives in Vancouver now, uh, started a little seven-inch label called Vinyl Warning. We put out like ten records. I don't know. I'd have to go back and check. Not that many. Um, I guess we're most famous for putting out a seven-inch by the band Exploding Hearts, who, since their untimely uh, tragedy. You know, I've become kind of infamous and influential. So I have I no hear... idea who they are. I feel oh, out of touch. Yeah. Well, that you know, I mean, they were in a car wreck and half the band died. And, oh, okay. But that was ten years ago. So yeah. it was. Uh, but um, they're really poppy, like you know, Elvis Costello inspired punk stuff, and uh, yeah, and I could probably sell all my leftovers records on eBay for you know a thousand bucks each or something they're they're they've really kind of blown up afterwards um but yeah so you know we put out a lot of like just local portland kind of garagey punk stuff um yeah i was into a whole bunch of stuff when i first got to portland i was just kind of once again trying to like you know core life crisis trying to find myself and uh you know they always say oh you know you look back you know, it's a total, like, greeting card cliche about, like, you know, 
who you are is what you do while you're trying to find who you are or something like that. But it became true because I looked back at it like, and it was like during this time where I felt so lost, I was just doing all this awesome, fun stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I became very proud of that time, even though I was kind of miserable at the time. But I was doing, I did the record label. I did this really awful um, uh, mini comics review zine called uh, Comicsville, which uh, I w- I'm always late to the game with some stuff. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I, you know, because I was, had been big into Fact Sheet 5 back in my zine days. And then it stopped. And I was like, oh, man, we, they needs, there needs to be something like that just for mini comics. I was big into mini com- I was just getting big into mini comics. And um, so I started this thing. And, but I didn't really realize that people had, at that point, pretty much stopped ordering zines through the mail. Like, that used to be a big thing that I think younger people don't understand is that, yeah, you just put, you know, $3, $3 cash into an envelope and mail it to a stranger. And, you know... 80% of the time you'd get a zine back, um, you know, back in the mail, you know, and now, yeah, I don't think anyone does that anymore. I think, you know, no. it's all through Etsy or something. There's a couple of folks, I think, that don't. I'm sure if I sent, I'm sure if I sent John Porcelino a few bucks in the mail, he'd send me. He'd probably prefer that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, no, because for Spit and a Half, he'll charge more. If you use PayPal, Which so makes he sense. doesn't have to pay the PayPal fee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no. And then I did another one called uh, "Best Zine Ever," which was super fun. It was one of my favorite projects because, um, what I did I was I just asked all my zine friends from all over the country to just send me their their favorite, like reviews of their favorite zines of the year. Then at the end of the year, I'd put it all together and send it out to everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what was great about that was it was all, not just positive reviews, but super glowing reviews. Just by its nature, it had to be, because it was like their favorite things of the year. And uh, so it was, just, it was just this force of positivity in the world that I was really proud of and happy. But once again, it was like, you know, people had stopped ordering stuff through the mail. So it was, it was, um, it was kind of, you know, if I'd started it a few years earlier. I did it for five years, so um, it's always weird to think about it in those terms in years, because it, you know, I haven't done it in over ten years, but yeah, I did it for five years, which is a long time, so. I get the feeling that you're one of those guys that just can't sit still with just, like, being complacent with what you're doing. Like, you always have to be kind of adding or having new stuff happen, or kind of being creatively active yeah i guess so i'm not terribly and i'm not i'm not like proud of that in such a way because i wish i could be content just doing like one little thing i'm actually at a point right now in my life where i've like finished off a whole bunch of projects and my to-do list is actually shrinking really really tiny and i'm like happy about it because i have a you know i want to i want to write more and i want to do all these projects and i just want to focus on them and i'm like oh man it'll be so great as long as It'll be so great when my schedule's clear. And my girlfriend was like, you'll just pick up some new project. And I was like, no, I won't. She's like, you always do. So we'll see if that if she's right or not. I don't really have anything planned. So, um, I mean, I have a few little things planned. But I just feel like, you know, at times I have like 
20 projects in the works, but right now I'd only have a few. So mm. it's a, it'll be a test. It's a little scary too, because I'm just like, you know, cause I go to so many shows and I'm so involved with various aspects of, you know, indie comics that, yeah, if I don't take up something new, you know, I won't have anything in a year. And, yeah. And the biggest question comics people always get is, what's new? What are you working on? And if my answer is nothing, I'm, well, that would be pretty, <laughs> be pretty scary. <laughs> um, it's like that publisher perish idea. Yeah, yeah. I'll fire myself. <laughs> I, won't make, I won't make tenure if I own something. <laughs> you'll, you'll be uh, back down to the mailroom for you. Yes. Now, Clutch was primarily autobiographical... Or yeah. completely, I, I, it was you know creatively. Kind of, what'd you say? Creatively autobiographical. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it was a uh, um, you know like there's times where I would like shoot laser out of, lasers out of pimples and like put on gyro packs and fly over town and stuff like that. But for the most part, it was you know it was straight autobio. Um, two things happened at once, kind of to influence me. Um, the, there used to be this kind of alternative comic strip called Jim's Journal that ran in like my my like college newspaper, and they put out a big collection of them. And it's this it's by Scott Dickers who went on to found the Onion newspaper, and uh, it's very kind of you know it's very slice of life like this guy just like it's like a comic strip, but it's like him eating a sandwich or something. Before that became like half of what zines were yeah. <laughs> so that came out and i was just like i love these and i read the whole read them all in one place and i'm like i could do this and at the same time before his big collection started coming out um Kachulka put out james Kachulka put out like one mini of like some of his diary stuff and that came out at the same time and i was just like and and jim's journal is kind of diary style as well and i was just like i could totally do this as well and um so I so I did. I just started it. Uh, I th you know I think originally I was just going to do. You know. One or two issues of it, or like, but yeah, it went on for eight years. Um, I think the thing was, I wanted to do like you know kind of wacky, funny stuff, kind of you know, Peter Bag type comedy or uh, Evan Dorkin type stuff. But having to be funny was too. You know, it was too much pressure, and I could and I couldn't like perform on the spot. Um, mm -hmm. But if I didn't have to be funny, like with those diary stuff, you can just you can just talk about eating a sandwich or something. Um, then I then I could totally rally and be like, you know, when, when it's not expected of me, I can be uh, I can be very funny. You wouldn't know it from this interview. But, uh, <laughs> I think you're funny, Greg. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, what kind of stories of your life would you look to capture um and i'm one one thing i'm curious about is you're you're very a positive guy and i've never actually heard you like trash talky at all um and i'm curious about your approach of like kind of maintaining this positivity through um your autobio work well i think a lot of that is just because i turn that negativity on myself so I don't have any left for the rest of the world. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and yeah, so, so my autobio stuff is, you know, it's full of like kind of 
some pretty, you know, self-deprecation stuff and some self-loathing at times. Um, and it's funny, when I started uh, started dating my current girlfriend, she she went to seek out all these old issues to, to learn about, like, my past. And I was really scared about it. Like, I was just like, because I'm a different person now than I was when I when I did those, you know. Like, I started those almost, you know, over 12 years ago was when the first issue came out. No. You know, think about how who you were twelve years ago compared to now. So it's a little it's a little hard to look back on them and so actually, you know but she's also a librarian and the public library here in Portland has this zine selection and has a bunch of them in their collection. So she just got them all from the library and and read them without my permission. <laughs> so I'm all, I I'd always be worried of like me being, you know, it's like, was I a horrible person or was I much more interesting at that point in my life? Um, <laughs> I think, I think I, you know, I haven't reread them in a while, but I, I, I definitely feel like I was doing okay. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't feel like I was doing okay at all. You know, <laughs> so, you know, and I think it was, you know, partially I was doing these projects where I'd work with artists and writers and musicians who were, you know, 17 years old or something and doing amazing stuff. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything and feel like I was, you know, wasting my life or I was given this chance, you know, uh, with, to do something interesting with my life. And I wasn't. And, and now I was like, no, oh, you're and now I look back and I was like, no, I was doing fine. It was actually a funny part where I turned, I turned forty. I um, I made a list of every zine I made in my thirties, every zine, every record, every comic, every anthology, and it was seventy-five. Wow! It's like that is a ridiculous. That's too many. That's like such a ridiculous number. Um, you know. So it's. Uh, so do you mean like other people's records that you? Um... Yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, there's 25 issues of Clutch, there's 17 issues of Paper Cutter, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, I did eight issues of Comicsville, five issues of Best Scene Ever, and so on and so on, and then, yeah, I did 10 records or whatever, and it just added up, you know, all of a sudden, I was like, holy crap, that's, you know, seven or eight things a year, and, uh, and I was just like, a whole lot of time, I thought I wasn't doing anything, I was just like, if you had asked me at any point, it's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm just like, oh, I'm not doing. I'm wasting my days. <laughs> um, now, one of the things you did, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you worked with one of the folks who brought out the Crayon's Ego. Yeah, yeah, wow. Book. That is, that is um, you're you're off the hook for not have, you know, not knowing Clutch because that is uh, obscure. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned. I think I mentioned reading it on Twitter or rereading it, and you're like, you you replied. Of, uh, of of printing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I did the um, uh, the Johnny Ryan parody in that. Okay. So yeah, no, that was a. The great thing about the Johnny Ryan parody in that is that it felt like a Johnny Ryan comic. <laughs> yeah, it was, I felt like I was, you know, because you just talked about me being such a positive person. I was just like. I kind of, you know, felt really uncomfortable, especially with some of the, um, the, the Tom Neely, Tom Gold pieces in that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who did what, but anyway, the, Tom <laughs> Gold, the fake Tom Gold ones. 
uh, where which are pretty savage to the people uh, they're making fun of. I was like, I was, you know, I didn't, I remember uh, Jesse Reckloff put that anthology together and he was like, approached me about doing something for it. And I was like, no, I don't want to make fun of people, even people I don't really like that much. I don't want to waste my energy making fun of someone. And I was like, except for Johnny Ryan. <laughs> Just because he, at the time, he was had a comic strip that ran in the weekly paper here in Portland, the Portland Mercury. And it was just so negative. I just felt like he gave permission to make fun of him because he was so making he was so much making fun of everyone else. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you know, you know, I was re- really nervous for him to see it. Like, I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't see it. I hope he doesn't see it. And then, like, the day it came out, Dan Zetlock actually walked up to him and showed it to him. <laughs> I remember being really mad at Dan for doing that and he's like went up to him and showed it to him it's like and you know and greg did this and i was like oh i didn't even know i don't you know, still don't even know johnny ryan and, but of course he was like loved it and i think he wanted to buy it like buy the original art from me and stuff he just because he does that stuff he makes fun of himself as much as he makes fun of other people so. oh yeah no one's sacred in any johnny stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah no i i feel like i did a bunch of little stuff here you know as i said yeah i just did a and that was, yeah, I guess it's still this way in, in Portland. It's just, uh, it feels like people are doing a lot of little things here and there. And if you make yourself available, you know, you can be part of it. And uh, it's one of the great things about living in, in this town is that, um, yeah, you can just kind of catch on to other people's projects if, if you want to. I mean, I probably turned down more than, it's funny, I, I, t- I talk to people's like little comics and zine classes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how do you, how do you get into anthologies or how do you get people to ask you to be part of this? And I'm just like, you know, if you just do, start doing it after a couple of years, you know, you're turning down people just cause you don't have time. Yeah. 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 So it's yes. not, it's just a matter of what's that Woody Allen quote about just showing up. Is that Woody Allen or Groucho Marx? I don't know that, that 90% of life is just showing up. I think it might be Groucho, but I don't know. Um, Someone leave that in the comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct us, please. You know, Paper Cutter, I remember seeing that when I went to Stumptown many moons ago um, and not knowing about it and seeing, like, I think the third issue was out by that point and picking them all up and really blowing me away of um, taking, bringing together, like, really disparate different creators that are all really unique and really bringing their A-game um, out for those anthologies. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious about like the curatorial process, the editorial process, and kind of the idea of what you wanted to do with that book when you started. So well, when pick- I started, I was still working as the librarian at, at the IPRC Zine Library. And um, and I remember I was just, just you know, every, you know, and I'm a pretty positive guy, but also zines just are this thing that just easily couldn't exist. So it always feels weird when someone's like, oh, I hated that zine. Because it's like, you know, <laughs> it so easily couldn't have existed at all. So you just always admire the person for even just showing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, But every, so like, you know, that job was really fun. So I'd read this stuff all day and cataloging. I mostly did cataloging. And then every once in a while I'd read something, I'd be like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then I'd realize no one's read this. This has a circulation of 10, you know, and it, it, it would kind of make me mad. 
Like, I'd be like, why? Everyone in the world should read this. This is amazing. And, um, and after, you know, a dozen times of that happening, I'd be like, it's up to me. I have to, <laughs> I have to tell the world about this person. And so that was kind of the, uh, the spawn of the paper cutter was this idea that there are these people who are, um, yeah, out there doing this work in obscurity. And, uh, you know, I thought, saw it as an extension of being a librarian, like, you know, cause I'm, I, you know, I am supposed to disseminate information and there's this information out there of these awesome cartoonists and it's my job to tell, tell the world. And uh, so that was kind of the idea. I feel like, once again, this is a, an idea of its time because this is before... Tumblr. Tumblr, yeah. Tumblr and even like there was a time where like LiveJournal was the bomb for finding out about new cartoonists. And so it was even kind of before that. Um, that's going back a while. <laughs> um, yeah, so back on my DeviantArt was, page. Yeah, exactly. But I always find DeviantArt kind of hard to na- navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah so paper cutter was kind of the start of that and uh, and I had you know I had this list of awesome people I wanted to work with um, and you know and over the years I would add to it and some people I just never met like there's an artist uh, in issue two named Becca Taylor who's from Chicago mm-hmm. who I've never met like you know after, even after all these years we you know and that's that's one of my most pop the most popular issues of paper cutter. People are like, she's awesome. What else has she done? And then after she did that, she pretty much stopped making comics. I don't know. I uh, I've totally. She's friends of friends, so like I think she's still doing something. But and so that's always weird. My idea was that like, oh, this will be just like a tiny stepping stone that someone could put on their resume. That like, oh yeah, I I did this and this, and or or they could get a little like, you know how like a little encouragement just can mean the world to you and keep you going um and i and i was kind of hoping for the same thing with uh with paper cut and actually at at the time i was like oh these people are like you know really talented artists but they just don't know how to get their their name out there they just don't know how to get an audience and i was like i will help them and it was also before i realized that i i don't know how to do that (laughs) (laughs) i'm a horrible businessman and i just uh and i hate like you know, being, you know, the center of attention and stuff. So it was like, which was in a way was great about paper cutter. Cause I could just be like, look at this person. Um, so yeah, you know, like I think, um, I think, it, you know, I'm very proud of it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with like how it has helped some people, but yeah, there have been some other people who, who just stopped making comics after, after working with me, maybe that's a sign of I was doing things wrong. <laughs> um, You're a deal breaker. Yeah, I was just like, ugh, if that's what comics is like, forget it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, it was a really fun seven, 17 issue, seven year run. Um, but I think, you know, as I said, I, I made this list of, I'm answering a question you didn't ask, which is why I stopped. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, I made a, uh, I made this list of like people I wanted to work with, like, you know, like uh, just a text edit document. And, uh, and I hadn't pretty much gotten through it, you know, like I, I mean, there were still some people I still haven't gotten to, but the vast majority of it, 
you know, I'd add people over the years that I discovered, like that, you know, new artists that I would run across that I thought were awesome. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I, you know, I got to most of that list and, uh, and I remember, you know, and I think you've seen projects have gone on longer than they should have. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it's kind of good to know when to walk away. And I feel like as I look back on projects I've done over the years, yeah, seven or eight years is usually for me kind of the, is, is the max. I don't, I didn't think about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I've done this for seven years, now now I need to stop. But that's just when you start feeling it, like where you start feeling like the passion starting to fade a little and it becoming more like a chore. And that's that's when you that's when you stop. That's uh very familiar to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is uh, that how long has Ink Studs been on? <laughs> Eight years. Oh. That's why I stepped away from uh, from radio. Is uh, I just can't do a weekly show anymore. Yeah, it becomes a grind. Even yeah. if you love it, it becomes like a grind. Yeah, and I want to focus on talking to people I like, and so, mm-hmm. um, and then I decided I should interview you too. Yeah. Now, in Paper Cutter itself, it seemed like a little bit of formula of getting like a more known artist. Um, with some less known artists. Yeah, there was a, like, you know, like which one? Well, like even like the first issue. Yeah. With it, with it, Aaron Rainier, um, you know, Spiral Bound had been out at, by that point. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, that was definitely the idea at first. This idea that there'd be um, someone you've either heard about a little bit, maybe someone to draw them in, and then, you know than someone else there that they, you know, had never heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, Kind of the um, spoonful of sugar theory or something, you know, like uh, baiting the trap to, like, let people know about something new. Yeah, the idea was that there'd be a 20-page story by um, someone new that you haven't heard of, which, of course, doesn't, this doesn't apply to that first issue with Aaron, but... The original idea was that, yeah, there'd be this 20-page story by someone you might not have heard of, kind of from the zine mini-comics world. There'd be, like, a 10-page story with, like, by someone you might have heard of, like like Aaron Rainier or Liz Prince or Colleen Coover. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then a little two-pager by, you know, someone, someone you know, some, maybe something a little oddball at a two-pager. And... Um, and that was pretty much the formula for for most of the run, you know. I varied from it here and there, and every once in a while, like, you know, things just would like, people would cancel on me, people would flake on me, um, things would fall through, I'd have to move things around. So it doesn't really apply to every the whole run of the issue. And sometimes you you know it's fun to mix things up. So I would so I would. So. Now you being a cartoonist yourself. Um, and then choosing not to include yourself in your anthology, and I'm curious about that importance of that divide of um, having like that distance and that aspect. Yeah, you know, people ask me about that over the years, and I just it never even really occurred to me to put myself in that. 
I think it's mostly because I wanted to promote it so much and I wanted to be extroverted about it. That was the whole idea about it was to promote other people's work. And I felt like if I was in it, all of a sudden that promotion would feel super self-serving and yeah. obnoxious. Um, so I so I never did that. And then I could be obnoxious and not feel obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about other people. So was, there's a big difference between saying, hey, look at this awesome comic. This is amazing. It's by this person who's great. And saying, hey, look at this awesome comic. Aren't I great? Look at me. I'm the best. <laughs> so, that's just not my, that's, I just, I'm not good at that. So, it seems like there's a um, a strong curatorial hand in it too, which works when you kind of step away from your own kind of artistic needs. Yeah, well, yeah, I like that word curatorial. It's because uh, that's that's why I was that's how I felt when I was doing it. Like I was just it was like an art show that I was just putting together, um, and uh, yeah, and I think you know when I put them all, when I lay them all out and look at them, which I haven't done in a while, but you know, when I do that, I, yeah, I do feel like there's a, you know, I've heard people just like talk about it in terms of like, it's definitely more accessible than like, you know, Kramer's or some of the more kind of art comic anthologies that, you know, are out there. And then, it, but it's definitely more, you know, but it's subject matter is varied and it's, you know, it's not, it's you know, serious comics, but at the same time, it's accessible. And yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, a lot of contemporaneously speaking, um, Kramer's is dense to get into just by price point. Mm -hmm. um, and yours ranging from the extreme of three dollars to the the high end of four dollars yeah. um, to the free issues afterwards. Yeah. The free comic day stuff, and I th and, and I'm wondering about the success of that of of making, you know, a financially um, possible comic for readers. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I didn't get into comics to get rich, and I succeeded. Um, it's, you know, it's, Paper Cutter was 32 pages long compared to, like, you know, Kramer's, which was, like, 300 at times pages long. So it was a different beast. And I definitely feel like, you know, I'm not competitive with Kramer's. I love Kramer's, so it's not like I'm picking on them. But uh, yeah. I definitely feel like they either understood or happened to be in a better position that, like, they could sell through different markets. Because, you know, Kramer's is a book, you yeah. know. It's like, and, uh, uh, and Paper Cutter is a comic. It's staple-bound. It's, you know, it's a floppy. It's a pamphlet. So, um I definitely feel like it was, you know, better for like a comic book market, you know, but <laughs> once again, I'm not a very good businessman. I really think about things like who's going to actually buy your comic or and where and how um, before I make it. So, uh, which is not a good way to be, but um, so yeah, yeah, paper cutter is just designed to be cheap. Mm -hmm. And inexpensive, but you did pay artists, man. Um, a little bit, yeah. Well, it, regardless, and and for folks who don't know, it's not often artists actually make money, mm -hmm. any money doing things for anthologies. 
Um, and I think it's kind of important to recognize that mm-hmm. component to it of how you're able to get these great folks to do stories that they're getting even a menial page rates more than nothing. Yeah, I guess, you know, one of the things I didn't talk about with the birth of Paper Cutter was I had uh, I bought a house, you know. I was definitely at that age where I was like, all my friends were like settling down and buying houses and having kids. And so I was like, well, I should buy a house and settle down too. And so I bought a house and I was, started dating this girl really seriously. And it was just awful. I hated owning the house. I hated dating this girl. And I was pretty miserable. I just felt trapped even though, you know, we weren't married or anything. And, and at one point I was just like, what if I blew up my life and like sold the house? And I was like, if I sold the house, I could start like a comics anthology. So, yes, yeah, so I sold the house. I just sold my house <laughs> um, and used that money to help start uh, Paper Cutter. Paper Cutter, in the end, you know, pretty much broke even. So it wasn't it wasn't like the, the hole I thought it would be, you know, yeah. the money pit. But, yeah, no, so I saw I went in the past when people were like, how did you how did you get the money to pay people? I was like, I sold, I, house. I sold my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and I don't regret it. It was a good it was a good decision. Um, you, you're okay though. You have a home. I have an apartment that I like very much. So, yeah, um, much more my speed. So yeah, you know, and um, I think the other thing that was integral to the idea of Paper Cutter was that these were commissioned pieces. That like these weren't like you know you see these you know anthologies that are like you know comics that people already had done or. Uh, I often get asked, people like, oh, I have this comic, can I send it to you and submit it to be in your book? And that's not how we worked. We were like, hey, you, draw us something new. Mm-hmm. And I definitely approached some people and were like, hey, you want to do something for Paper Cutter? And they're like, yeah, I have this story uh, that's already done. Can I send it to you? And I'd be like, well, I'd love to see it, but no. <laughs> you know, because, uh, And a lot of times it'd be like, you know, the wrong format, just like it'd be square or something like that. Or, yeah. Um, or it wouldn't even be a comic. People always tried to get non-comics into Paper Cutter. They'd be like, it's just stuff from my sketchbook, or which I'm totally, you know, which I love, like those Chris Ware sketchbook things. And Eleanor Davis does these amazing little sketchbook zines. Um, but that's not what Paper Cutter was about. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's polished, finished work. But even paying someone just as little as, as I did, it's just it just makes them feel like doing the best they can yeah for the most part there's you know you'll always run across some jerk who'll dash something off in a in, over a weekend and be like here's here's something for your for your lovely anthology that i i sneezed out <laughs> <laughs> it's 20 pages done in two days yeah, yeah. good luck with it yeah that, that always that always feels fantastic when someone does that to you so so You've taken a step back from publishing um, mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. I think the uh, most recent thing is the print set um, we were mentioning before we started uh, that uh, Farrell Dalrymple drew based on a story that M.K. Reid had done. Yeah, you know, this is once again, it's like I just see these projects and be like, wow, I wish that existed. And then I would just, so I just make them myself. And M.K. had written this story for her Irish mythology webcomic and uh, a bootable, a, a bootable, 
uh, about a bull. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we love the way you say it, though. Uh, uh, and, you know, and Farrell drew it, and it had existed for, like, you know, a year and a half, and I had seen it just because I'm friends with those guys. Mm-hmm. But no one else had because MK was behind on some other aspect of the webcomic. And I was just like, and the originals are super beautiful. And just the idea of it only being seen kind of shrunken on someone's iPhone or something like that just kind of made me sad. So, yeah, so I, you know, it was one of the easiest projects I've ever done. I just put it together and um, put it out. You know, it's just six pages mm-hmm. and just put it out as kind of like a print set because it's definitely, you know, it's, it's Farrell's watercolor stuff is kind of amazing. And I just was like, this looks like something you'd put on your wall anyway. So I did it that way. I think we can agree that Farrell's at the top of his game. Yeah. Artistically right now. He is doing some amazing stuff. And um, he has an art show up here in Portland right now at uh, Floating World Comics. It's, it's just kind of jaw-droppingly beautiful. And then I'm also, right now, this is actually, you say I took a step away from publishing, and I did, but uh, I'm also doing all these projects that end up at other publishers, mm-hmm. and I'm doing one right now um, that MK wrote, it's, a, it's like a novella, it's like 60 pages or something, and Farrell's drawing, and he's almost done, he's like two pages away from being done, so that's really exciting, um, but I probably won't end up publishing it just because... We could probably find someone who'd be better. <laughs> and, uh, I'm doing another. I'm, I do a number of kids' books that end up at other publishers, and I'm doing one of those now. And I'm also working on the new uh, free comic book day book for next year. So, you know, I've got. I definitely have other stuff going on. Um, uh, but it's yeah, it's not as. There was something kind of really soothing about the clockwork nature of paper cutter that it was just like you know. Issues would come out in March, an issue would come out in June, an issue would come out in September. It was just very, you know, very calming. You just knew what was coming in life. And, yeah. uh, and I've definitely gotten away from that. Though, you know, the free comic book day thing really helps. Because so, it's at least once a year. So. One of the things um, we mentioned earlier, co-publishing with uh, folks, you co-published with Sparkplug. Mm-hmm. Um, for Rena's book. Rena's book, Aaron's book. Yeah. And I'm curious how that works. Um, how do you co-publish? Well, it helps if, like, the other publisher is one of your best friends. Um, yeah. So it was like, you know, um, I used to work next door to where Dylan Williams, the owner of, the former owner of uh, Sparkplug, worked, and, you know, I'd, every day I'd practically I'd go and talk to him and uh and you know we liked each other's stuff we liked a lot of the same artists um you know we published some of the same artists and uh and I was kind of always after him to co-publish something so I was just like and then one day he was like he was like man I'd love to do a book with Rena and I was like I'd co-publish that with you and he was like oh, okay <laughs> and at the time I thought it would be like like it would be like he would cope, like, it would be like either of us doing a book on our own, except we'd, like, share the expense and share the work. But it really became, like, and it was to some extent like that, but um, but it became but it became more separate than that. I don't think, 
it was as smooth as I thought it would be. And people joked around that we would like merge and uh, become what was it? Spark Sparkboat was the name that a lot of people said, which was better than Tug Tug Plug. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think in the end we just would like put the books together together, you know, put the books together, and then we'd get the books back and we'd split them up, you know. <laughs> My stack, your stack. Yeah, yeah. Good luck selling yours. I'll sell mine. <laughs> um, now, your most recent thing, uh, which we haven't really talked about, and we mentioned uh, M.K. Reed, um, co-written with her, the Cute Girl Network, which seems very different from everything else you've done. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I've never written a graphic novel before. Um, uh, M.K.'s last book, Americus, uh, is something that I helped out with a bunch because it originally appeared in Paper Cutter, the first chapter mm-hmm. originally appeared in Paper Cutter. Then I helped put together the rest of the book. Um, I was I was one of the editors on that. And um, it was eventually published by someone else. But originally I was going to be a, a Tugboat Press book. And um, I'm very happy that for a second <laughs> picked it up though. Uh, and there were at times where during the of Americas where uh, you know there was tons of back and forth between like kind of minutia of like of writing scripts and um, and there'd definitely be times where uh, MK would be stuck at a part which happens when you're writing you know a 200 page book and uh, I'd be like well how about something like this and I'd write something for it and she'd always like reject it because you know she's like we're not co-writing this <laughs> And uh, I was like, well, I won't tell anyone. But she was always like, no. But that always ended up lighting a fire under her, and she'd end up figuring something out. So after Americus was done, um, you know, a couple of months later, we just started talking about, you know, we just, like, were goofing around talking about ideas. And uh, we came up with the idea for Cute Girl Network and uh, decided to co-write it. I think I kind of... I kind of bullied her into it a little. Oh. I was like, because she definitely was when I, uh, when I like, so we talked about the idea and we're kind of goofing around, making jokes and like uh, outlining it kind of loosely. And then when I presented her with everything laid out, like that we had talked about and written out in a formal way, she was like, you were serious about that? <laughs> Which is not a good feeling, <laughs> but she eventually did it with me. I think she's pretty proud of it. Um, and it was a real, you know, it was a real good collaboration. Like, you know, I, I keep seeing books where you can tell one person did all the work. You know, they're like co-authors, but one person like came up with the idea and then the other person did all the heavy lifting or something like that. Or, um, or like someone wrote a prose story and the other person, uh, sequentialed it. Yeah. Sequentialed <laughs> it. Uh, but this was definitely cause we both, you know, are deep into comics and definitely both know what we're doing. So it was definitely a uh, a real, like, I'd write a scene, then she'd rewrite it, then I'd rewrite it, then we'd talk about it and put it together. And we did that, and it was actually, it came together pretty pretty smoothly. It's a, it's funny, because all these, like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a lot of serious books out right now, which are, you know, very good, but our book isn't, is this it's it's got a serious moments and has its serious issues it talks about but it's it's a romantic comedy it's a yeah. it's a 
it's kind of a popcorn book in ways, but I'm very proud of it. I don't want to diminish it. It's uh, I think it's really fun. And if I didn't write it, I'm sure I would, I would love it. It's definitely, you know, right up my alley. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, you know, a slice of life story about two kind of punk rock kids who meet on the street and start to fall in love. And then, you know, the, the norms in the world want to break them up. So it's, uh, the concept it's, frightened me. <laughs> What's even scarier is like how it's starting to come true. <laughs> now, like for for listeners, the idea of the book, and I'll totally get it wrong, is the main female character, uh, her friends are all don't date this guy, and there's this like network of women that share information about their exes, and it's like we all go through like our shitty points in our life, and it's. Uh, yeah, it frightened me. Yeah, I think it frightens a lot of guys because they're like, you know, because heaven forbid if, like, what my ex-girlfriends could say about me <laughs> if, uh, if they had the forum. Um, so, or, like, if one of, if like my current girlfriend asked my ex-girlfriends about me, I, they'd, yeah, they'd definitely tell her to dump me. And, um, which, so I'm, so I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, the network is this, like, citywide information sharing clearinghouse where they like collect information on 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 men and so if you start dating someone like you're like oh i'm dating rob mcconnell i'm gonna i'm gonna see what the network has to say and they'd be like and they you know all of your exes would be like oh he picks his nose or or something i'm making that up i don't know if you actually (laughs) that'll be so there's this yeah so you know yeah it is kind of frightening there was a new york times article a couple weeks ago about this like this startup that's doing an app that's like kind of like the cute girl network. And it sounds just totally like a lawsuit waiting to happen. But um, yeah, it's just like, you can go on and find the, you know, find out everything that, you know, guys about the guy, somehow it like info mines from like Facebook and Twitter. Oh Jesus. Yeah. It's super scary. Actually at at one show I was at um, before the book came out and I was talking about the book, this woman who's a lawyer was saying that, uh, uh, they use this database called uh, LexisNexis, which is super powerful, and like they use it to search for like you know all sorts of legal stuff, and it's very expensive. And um, but she said that uh, one of her coworkers started dating a guy, and and, and she put her put his name into um, LexisNexis, and uh, and like his credit report came up, and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> like you know, you can tell if they have a an FBI record or something like that. So, and it's just, it's super invasive. And uh, I know when I started dating my girlfriend, she Googled me. So, <laughs> uh, which I was, yeah, which is frightening too. So, um, so yeah, I feel like it's not that far away. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and I hope people in the future, you know, that I think there is a little something about like in the book about trusting your own instincts um, above everything that you hear. Yeah. So, well, it's like even like recently with like Edward Snowden, they're like publishing mm-hmm. his old live journal photos. Yeah. It's like, of course, he had just terrible photos of himself when he was twenty. It was on Live Journal. Yeah. I wonder if there's this thing. Any there used to be this thing when MySpace was really big called uh, Dead Space, which was like people who had died, and like their family couldn't like take down their. Their MySpace pages, so people would like link to them. 
mm-hmm. and it inevitably be about like I love getting drunk and driving and stuff <laughs> like that but you know oh. yeah it's uh yeah that stuff's out there and I you know I recently maybe you know not coincidentally for my book went back and tried to erase a bunch of my stuff that was <laughs> out there so it's, it's harder than you think and it's you know, I think a lot of people have like abandoned like Friendster pages or something like that that they think no one looks at anymore until you until you uh, turn over your NSA files to you know to the press or something. Then it all comes back. Yeah, I uh, yeah remember friends don't drink and uh, tweet or drink yes. in Facebook. Yeah, be a responsible surfer. Yeah, it's uh. It's interesting. I, I, I think uh, we try to present in the book that it could be a force of good because there's this other character who's just kind of awful and you're kind of like, and at times he complains that the, the cute girl network, um, which is only what the boys call it. The girls don't call themselves the cute girl network. But um, he, he's just like, oh man, I stole my girlfriend's pain medicine and I wrecked her car and stuff like that. And you're just like, Thank God the cute girl network's out there like warning girls about this guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we if we ever do a sequel, it would definitely we're, we we talked about how the network would definitely be the good guys this t- next time. So. <laughs> Take care of some terrible. Right. Fellow. Definitely warn off some unsuspecting you know unsuspecting woman against some monster or something. Now you are. I presume you're going to be at Emerald City. In when is that March? Last weekend in March this year. Last yeah. weekend. There we go. March and April Fools, which I'm sure won't bode well for several folks at the show. I feel like it's um, been that before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to come up with a good prank. Uh, yeah. Any other shows you're going to be doing in the new year? Yeah, you know that's one of the weird things about a book coming out in November is there's just like not a lot of shows. Um, yeah. It was, if it was, you know, I had such a good time at the short run show in Seattle. Uh, last week, a week and a half ago, that I just wish there had been more. Because, yeah, the next show I'm at is the L.A. Zine Fest in Los Angeles in February. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then maybe the next one will probably be Emerald City in the end of March. Yeah. Well, thank you, Greg, thank for taking you. the time um, to chat with me today. Um, reminder, folks, I've been talking to Greg Means. His latest book is the cute girl network or his first graphic novel i should say yep. collaboration with joe flood and mk reed uh, as well as publishing paper cutter and a whole slew of other stuff at tugboat press and doing clutch which you may find in selective mini comics zine carrying stores and fine libraries in portland your friends next to your friends toilet there toilet. we go i am a fan of toilet reading I will say that much. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you, Robin.